Welcome to worship at the University Church this morning. I hope that you are having a wonderful day, and even if not, that as we meet our God and Savior here today, that you will be blessed. We are in the midst of a sermon series, Legends, as we study the book of Genesis. And today, our sermon series title for today, and then, Disaster. And then, disaster. I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation. Turn to the book of Revelation. As we start, we're going to read together, but you should know uh, you're welcome to follow along on the screen because we're going to be in Revelation chapter 12, and then we're going from there to Ezekiel chapter 28, and then from there we're going to Isaiah chapter 14. You might want to write those down. As we come along, if you'd like to really investigate further or check in to live stream a little later, uh, or read from the screen. Any of those things that you feel you're capable of doing, I welcome you and invite you. So here we begin. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7 says this, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And then Ezekiel 28. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And Isaiah 14, how you have fallen You have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High." And there was war. And so, what kind of story do we find ourselves in today? This legend some describe as a falsehood and we hold as true. What kind of story do we find ourselves in as we land here amidst the trees? Once upon a time, there was a majestic and powerful king. This good king longed for the love of a great family, and so he made them, Adam and Eve, and it was good. He gave them a home, and it was good. He gave them each other, and it was good. He put them in charge. And it was good. 
He gave them beauty and safety and adventure and love, and he gave them the trees, and it was good. He walked with them and talked with them face to face, and it was good. Now, don't we wish our story stayed in this chapter? But the legend turns. Chapter 2. If you look closely, there among the trees, a beast waiting to pounce, waiting to strike, and then disaster. We find ourselves in Genesis today. In Genesis, we'll spend our time in Genesis chapter 3. And as we do, I invite you to bow your head with me in prayer. Lord God, Father, come close. We desire your presence. We desire to hear from you. And as we dig through your pages, would you help us make sense of what's going on here? For all clearly, all is not right. So, give us hope. Invite us into your word. Help us understand our story and what it means that it is a part of your great story. Please bless us today with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't think you can escape the notion, the truth, disaster. I don't know uh, about you, I struggle to pay attention to the news. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, there are times I just, I just, I just purposely don't, don't look, because every time I do, I, I struggle. I just thought, well, okay, we're talking about this disaster that we're in. Let me just, let me just open a web browser and click on news, and here's what you might find. Of course, you know, 17 dead in the school shooting and many a story associated, but you might also find a California driver of a semi-truck losing control, plowing into cars on Highway 10, and five are killed. Or that there is a, a former Seattle mayor that is accused of sexual abuse and just discovered the accuser is now dead. Hmm. Or the Carnival Cruise Lines. Surely that's going to be a good story. Ah, an extra detour to dock and disembark 23 passengers who engaged in a bloody brawl on the Carnival Cruise Lines. Of course, there are 13 Russians indicted for election meddling. There's bank fraud allegations or just the simple slight line. It is suggested 84 children so far have died because of the flu. We are not in a safe place. This is not a safe story we have fallen into. What kind of story is this anyway? And as we read on our way into Genesis 3, we land in the first, in the beginning. It is our beginning, but it isn't really the beginning. For there is war. Our peaceful story emerges amidst war times. For there is war in heaven and there is an enemy. Have you noticed 
that all the really great stories have a villain. And some might suggest that what's happening in our legend is it mirrors the great storytelling, and others would say the great stories resonate with all of us because written on our hearts is the story. And it is true that in this story, our story, his story, there is a villain. And so, our story, of course, you recall it, you can rewind it and begin. If there is a simple phrase to label the first two chapters of Genesis, this might be a good one. And it was good. He speaks land and seas and stars and trees and dolphins and he speaks and it is each thing. It is good. It is good. It is good. That is good. It is good. And it's all leading up to his leaning down into the mud and kissing mankind awake. And he says, this is good. A marriage, it is good. A day set aside to simply say, isn't this good? And at the end of those two chapters, a simple phrase, don't miss it. You could blaze past it into chapter three, but it is a foretelling of the dramatic shift. That last verse in Genesis 2. As you read it, my version says, and Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Or in other words, Adam and Eve were naked and it was good. It was all good. Do you recall we pointed out this little Detail that can be missed. You can read it and you can notice it if you know what you're looking at. You recall that through the course of the telling of the story of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, this universe of ours, this world that in which we live, as God speaks it, <coughs> the Bible will use His name, God, Elohim. But as the story be- continues to be told, That name shifts to a broader name, still Elohim, still the powerful God that can speak from a distance and it can be created. But in this story, the telling of our story, the name shifts, do you call it? The name shifts to Yahweh, Elohim. Not just the powerful speaker of creation, but the one who draws close in relationship and in covenant and in friendship and in love. And so it is the God who comes close. You see it in your your Bible because sometimes you'll read and it will say God, and sometimes it will say the Lord God. I don't know about you, but the word Lord feels very distant to me, but that is the word being translated from Yahweh, the one who draws close, the friend of ours, the one who would commit himself, who would come here and die, And isn't it true that is so like God that He comes to us? 
The very first interaction of God with mankind is Him coming to us and breathing into us. In Genesis chapter 3, a little way down, you're going to find in, after disaster has stricken our race, you're going to find this little sentence there where God comes to the garden in the cool of the day to see us. He comes to us. We want Him the more our hunger grows, but He comes to us. That is this God, Yahweh, Elohim. And Genesis chapter 3 starts with that very kind of God. The serpent was crafty, more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God, the one who draws close, that he had made all of this for us, all of it so that it would be good, a gift. But notice the subtle shift. Notice the subtle shift in Genesis chapter 3. This serpent says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, where are they, by the way? They're in the midst of the trees. Our story, this disaster, happens amidst the trees. You recall it. God has made all the trees. God has said you may eat freely from any of the trees. Hey, by the way, there is a tree here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We will name this tree. It is specific, this tree. This tree You should know, Adam and Eve, that the world drops into a story of heaven at war, that there is an enemy, and that there is a claim against God, that he is not good. But you know, you have seen, I have made all these things for you. I have made you. I made you for each other. I gave you to each other. I gave you power and dominion. I gave all of this, and I call it good. So, just know, this point of choice here dropped into the trees, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It stands as an ever-present choice. Do not eat that tree. Do not eat from that tree. For there with the knowledge comes death if you eat from that tree. But be clear, the voice of God says, you are actually free. And of course, we know the story. They are free. While God would say, do not eat from that tree, they are free to eat from that tree. By the way, some wonder, I think it is an exponentially powerful thing the more you appreciate it. A punctuation mark on our story and throughout the pages of Scripture that this central truth is proclaimed. You are free. It is the outcry of the human soul. I want to be free. I want to get to decide. The question comes, what are you going to do with that freedom? Because God offers and invites us into a relationship with Him, but you can walk away. You can choose to do what He does not want, even though it will bring disaster and death. So here, the serpent amidst the trees And by the way, the serpent nor Eve, neither one will actually call the tree by its name. It has a name. God gave it a name. He was clear about all this. But they seem both to know what tree they're talking about. 
Could it be that's because they are quite near that tree right now as the conversation goes? He would appear in this conversation, given his absent voice and how the story will unfold, that Adam is not here in this moment. But the serpent says, did God, that distant creative God, really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? A very subtle thing, a question is asked. By the way, the framing, the phrasing, I was reading one scholar who is dissecting this, did God really say? And the word order, this, by the way, this story is dripping with amazing points. Well, this particular scholar was pointing out that the word order is unusual and, in fact, suggests that as, as the serpent is saying, did God really say, he is, in fact, the word order is suggesting he is speaking for God. Let me tell you what God really said. Is, is he, you're taking it that he said you cannot eat from every tree, huh? And so the devil steps in and offers a new possibility, for he is suggesting a new God. Through the course of this story, he is hoping for the transition of Eve from God, the Yahweh Elohim, to this other way. So he does not call that God the one who is close. He suggests, I am the one who is close. We are here, right here, and I can answer the question about God, and it's very subtle and so far quite tame. But notice that Eve, as she responds, also calls this the distant God, not the, not the Yahweh close God. Did God really say, the serpent asked, you must, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, God, that distant one, God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent ramps up his approach now. They're in conversation. They're dialoguing together. They are associated with one another. They are close. You will not certainly die. You will not surely die. In fact, this is the phrase that God used, you will surely die, with the simple insertion of the word not. That God says this, I can be your God, and I say it's the opposite. You will not certainly die, the serpent says, for God knows that you will eat from it. When you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent suggests, one, that what God is saying to you is not true. And two, the reason he is telling you something that is not true is because he wants to keep you low. All dramatically opposite of what we find in the first two chapters of Genesis. And the serpent appeals to something our desire to be God. Fascinatingly, as we read from Ezekiel and Isaiah, that's the root of the whole war. The desire to be one's own God, 
and not be in relationship with the God. And this lie at the base, this lie is to say your eyes will be open. He is keeping you blind. Your eyes will be open. And of course, any great lie has a sprinkling of truth. There is an opening of the eyes. For you know, as this story begins to close, there's going to come this moment where they have eaten the apple, they have fallen to this temptation, and now a bookend on this notion from the 25th verse of Genesis chapter 2, Adam and, his e- Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now they are both naked and they feel shame. And their eyes are open to their nakedness. In fact, now what they see are themselves. Their life has turned inward Isn't it fascinating that a part of this new eyesight is also a new blindness? In verse 8, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And by the way, that is one of our approaches to our disaster and our problems, is to try to just power through it, overcome it through human will and 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 our abilities. And so, we know we have a problem. We know we experience sin. We know we struggle with temptation. And for some, or for some time, one of our inclinations is to sow our own fig leaves, cover ourselves, our own righteousness we make, and it doesn't cover anything at all. We will never be covered by our fig leaf sewn clothes. In fact, it will take another to come and be a sacrifice to clothe us. But fascinating, their eyes are opened, and then we hear this in verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And by the way, this whole, the phrase in the cool of the day, it, it actually could be more literally translated in the breeze of the day. Suggesting, apparently Moses is suggesting, this is toward the, toward the end of the day. This is the walk that God normally takes, and now he can't find his children. Oh, he can find them, but they are, in fact, the ones have turned blind. Because now, and from here forward in Scripture, without the, the exceptional power of God for some special situation, mankind will no longer be able to see God. As God walks through the garden and the leaves are rustling in the breeze of the day, they are scared, and yes, they can see their nakedness, and they can't see Him. They've lost their sight in trade for a self-centric view that leads to shame and disillusionment. This is the trade. Knowledge, yes, knowledge of good and evil. Yes, there's an open awareness. Yeah, you, you and I know it well. We have felt the pain for ourselves, have we not? Of loss, of death, of disease, of difficulty, of belittlement, of shame, discouragement. We have a knowledge of that. Good for us. We're doing it our way. 
We've traded in a God who would keep us blind to those things and allow us to see Him face to face. We've traded that for a full knowledge of the disaster and a blindness toward Him. Kind of a story is this anyway. By the way, I think a fair question is this one. Did God, then, did God create sin? Plant it there in the garden? You can either have sin or you can have righteousness, and so here it is. I created this for you. It's a fascinating question, and it's one that I end up in this conversation. Did God create sin? With some regularity, uh, with some individuals. I'd like to just do something here quickly, if you don't mind, and we're going to need this on the screen, if you could. Um, I'm going to find, I need a a volunteer for this, someone who is, um, someone who is willing, and you should all be afraid, because I know now so many of you how you doing? <laughs> Go ahead, have it stand up, or you could, or you could make your wife do this. I'll do it. He said, "I'll do it," and uh, showing just general wisdom. <laughs> All right, so we're going to play a game called opposites. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to say a word, or it's going to sh- it's going to be flashed on the screen. And what I want you to do is just quickly, just you don't 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 overthink this. Just share what you see as the opposite. Okay. okay. All right. So here you go. You take a look at this first one. Fast. Slow, very good. It qualifies especially with Don. Um, let's see, how about this one? Depressed. Happy. Happy. Cheetah. Um. <laughs> dog. Dog. Opposite of cheetah is dog. <laughs> Actually, the first service, somebody said snail, right? Which, of course, means they chose fast to be cheetah, and so now snail uh, dog. You're going cat? Mm-hmm. Cat, dog. Okay, there you go. You could have gone with prey predator. You could have gone with skinny fat. You could have gone with all kinds of stuff there, but it wouldn't actually be cheetah. It would be one of attributes, right? So, sorry about that one. That one got in the mix. Uh, I apologize. So, how about this? Let's go back to some other ones. Uh, simple. Complicated. Complicated. Uh, war. Peace. Peace. Uh, hungry. Full. Full. Uh, brick. Um is good. You go ahead and have a seat. Well, well done. Thank you. What you're noticing is that there are differences between the kinds of nouns that we flashed up there, aren't there? Some are notions and concepts, and others are actual concrete items. And what you notice is concepts tend to implicitly have opposites. And so, if you create love, which is a concept, especially if you also create freedom, and that part of the definition of love is freedom, now suddenly you have an option that does not need to be created by God. In fact, the one who has the freedom and would choose the other thing is the one who is exercising creativity and creative power, and God gave us that creativity and that power to choose hate instead of love, to choose sin, to reject God. God did not need to create rejection. As soon as He created belonging, and freedom. Rejection was an option. 
And in the midst of the forest of our story in this garden, there is a tree. And it is a tree of decision. And just as surely as Adam and Eve walked to that tree, ate from that tree, you and I, every day, we walk through the forest of our lives and we pass by a tree. It is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is a tree of option. It is the tree of freedom. It is the tree upon which we can reject ourselves as God, our own God, or any other power, the devil included, as God, and we can choose the God who made everything good. But make no mistake, there is a question over us all. There is an argument, and our answer to that argument could take us hurtling toward disaster. So you and I, as we read this story, we should pause and know God did not create sin. We landed in the midst of a universe at war, and God gave us choice, and we exercised something very sad, painful, difficult. I think that brings then this question to mind. Then are we responsible for being born into this world of sin where a decision was made that launched us hurtling toward disaster. And in the midst of the trees, you're going to find that the story, the legend, all that is unpacked in the pages of Scripture is that resoundingly the God of the universe says, no, I do not hold you responsible. I will come to a plan to save you and give you another choice. So no, he did not create sin. We did for ourselves when offered the options. The serpent did for himself by exploring those options and wanting to be God by himself. I think it's a fair question, are we responsible? We're going to delve into that more later, but the final question for the morning is this. In the end, this is a story implicit, embedded in the middle of it, is this question, what is God like? Is He holding out on you? Is He telling you half-truths? Is He suggesting things to you that are just meant to hold you down? Is He he your friend or your enemy? What is God like? One of my favorite ways to study Scripture is to partner reading Scripture with a set of books that I just love. You probably know about them. Favorite, favorite group, five books. It's called the Conflict of the Ages series, and it explores not just our story but the grand story of God. And it starts with a book called Patriarchs and Prophets, and it begins with the war in heaven and so on, and it goes on from patriarchs and prophets to prophets and kings to the desire of ages all about Jesus Christ to Acts of the Apostles in the early church to the great controversy and how this will all end. Fascinating thing. You'll notice. Maybe you already know this, but did you, did you know? The very first sentence of the very first of those books, do you know what the, the sentence is? It's three words. God is love. By the way, all the way through those five 
volumes. You go to the very last book, the book Great Controversy. You just flip through the pages and get all the way to the end. Flip to the very last page and the very last sentence. Do you know what the very last sentence is? It's three words. God is love. Do you know this is what everything is about? Is he or isn't he? What kind of a story have we been dropped into? I'm telling you, it is a story that we have been dropped into amidst the trees. For the God who creates the trees and would give us a tree of decision that represents our freedom whereby we can choose him or ourselves. Bookending this Bible all the way to the book of Revelation, you find another tree. Do you remember that other tree? The tree of life from which we may eat and live forever as we choose Him. These trees and all the way through the middle is a story of another tree. That the God of the universe would climb up upon to lay down His very life so that you might trade trees kind of a story if we found ourselves in. You know, that's one in the midst of the trees. It's a story all about a central question. What is God like? And in the midst of it all, this God who would make what is good and who would give you everything, including himself, it is a story in which you could say simply, God is love. God is love. But be, be aware. Don't be disillusioned. Don't misunderstand. We're in the midst of the disaster of what it looks like to conclude that God is not love. So may we, children of the legendary God, read our legend, our story, and grasp what is true that God is love, that He gives you a decision, that you can exercise it, and when you do, making yourself your own God, you, you launch a disaster, the one in which we sit, but that this God of love will not leave us here. He will come where we are come close because he is not just the God of power that would seek to strangle you. He is the God of power who is your friend and wants to draw close. Elohim, Yahweh, my friend. This story, this disaster, gets to be reversed because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the plan of God, a salvation for me and you. So would you pray, Lord, some of us feel right now so much more in the midst of disaster than in the midst of your love. Draw close to us. Don't be distant. We realize that in so many ways, our ability to see has shifted from being able to see you to our clarity about ourselves, and we know who we are, what we have done, and our deep need of forgiveness and change in our lives. Be today, be the God of creation, 
the one who can speak over our lives, I wash you clean and it is good. Be the God who is able to say to us, you have chosen me and so in the midst of this disaster I come and I am holding you and I will rescue you. As we bury our loved ones, may we proclaim the God of rescue, the God of salvation, the God of all things good, the God who is love. May we live out loud a relationship with you that others might envy and wonder, could it be true that this God does exist? And may today be different. Amidst the disaster, different because you have never left us even for all the times we left you so great god draw close in jesus amen